They don't love you like I love you. Math. They don't love you. I do. Math. That's making it in. All right. Yeah, so, uh, what it, what is it? it? It's August the 2nd be with you, and the world is and popping off. And that's the deal with games. Thank you, Ryan Gowan, crying for the use of your music. We use the intro and outro revive off the new album, Beyond the Fleeting Gales. You can find them at the Run for Cover Bandcamp. The album isn't new. WTDGpodcast.com. Thank you very much, guys. Okay. And uh, take it away. Um, just so you know, um, the uh, Blue Cubes from Pandemic are have just been announced as the next fighter to join the roster of Smash Brothers. Well, only that's crazy. Only See, 90s only 90s WTDG fans will understand that joke. Wow, that's a pretty good one. So that was a pretty good podcast. So now that we've got that out of the way, uh, what have you been up to this week? What have I been up to? I have been, well, what have I been up to? That's a great question. Um, played more Charterstone finally. Got up to, I think I, th- I think I got up to what you, I assume, is what you're talking about. Uh, so can we spoil it? I think no, we can spoil no, it. No, I don't think we can spoil we it. We can spoil That's it. That's so right? lame, dude. That's actually really lame to do that. That should not be later on. Uh, we will we'll have us we'll talk about Charterstone later. Okay, let's spoil it at the end it. of the podcast. Um, just because I I also had some questions about it because the ruling is very open ended. If you know what I mean, maybe you do. So let's save it for the end. Maybe you've played the right game. Maybe you didn't. Let's talk about it at the end. So aside from Charterstone, what has been going on? You know, maybe you want to talk about this brand new announcement of uh, Keyforge. Have you heard about Keyforge yet? I have heard that Keyforge is a Fantasy Flight Games new card game uh, in the wake of uh, Android Netrunner. So it's a pretty wild game because essentially you don't buy packs of Keyforge, you buy decks. And every deck is unique. What does that mean? What what is what is unique? What is unique? You mean? buy a deck. The decks are not modular. You buy a deck. That deck is what you play with, and that deck is unique. Um, in other words, the setup and structure of that deck is different from everybody else's deck. So there might be cards in that deck that are similar to other cards in other decks, but every deck is unique and also the game intentionally has misprinted cards in it that allow certain cards when they're misprinted to break the rules of what they would do so a card that is in one family might be misprinted to be in another family creating these sort of unique situations uh, that can only exist in like a given player's deck so the kind of cool thing about this is this sort of works in that dream world of Yu-Gi-Oh, right? Where one where you see this person's deck and it's like, ah, oh, that deck is crazy. I've never seen anything like that that exists. My grandfather's deck has no bad cards, as as Yugi would say. And then right? he and then he and pulls Karibo and he's like, what the hell? What is this shit? <laughs> what is this garbage? <laughs> hold on, hold on, grandpa, hold on, hold on. Okay, hold on. I gotta stop you. I gotta stop you really quick because yes, Yugi's grandpa is is uh, an idiot monster. Uh, but second of all, 
Um, uh, and before we go anywhere, two big things happening. Tomorrow, the beginning of Evo, not a lot to talk about. We'll talk about it next week. The big thing is that today and the next the the next four days are Gen Con, which is the biggest North American, at the very least, North American um uh, sure, and let's just board cut gaming, into our Keyforge table, discussion. Table topping. So that's the that's the background for the Keyforge thing. Now I have to return to Keyforge. So what? Uh, so so I, I I didn't get like a full picture of it from the announcement, but it, it's like you're buying a you're buying a Pokemon like almost like if you were to like look at like you know like a Magic or something like a starter pack, but it's only that that pack and it's not modular it's a whole deck right so imagine also that you are in a tournament for keyforge i, I think that what's probably going to happen is at the start of a keyforge tournament let's say you're given three decks right and essentially out of those three decks you need to figure out which of these decks is the best and how do i use it right because essentially uh, the idea is that you're going to be trying to learn a deck on the fly. Okay, so, okay, I, kind of I, 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 so I have, I have so many questions because I feel like I'm not grokking this. Um, that like I've, because I've heard so many different things of like there's these families and stuff. So, so when and the decks are unique, but they're not modular. How is that like? I don't get it. So, so is every there? There are all these different families of decks that like they're. They're a the Brobnar. Okay, so like, like you have like the okay, you have the Brobnar, whatever that is, and the Brobnar is a completely like it is a finished deck. There is no way to add or take cards away from the Brobnar. See, so here's where you're getting confused: is that you think the Brobnar is a deck? The Brobnar is not a deck, right? The Brobnar is a family of cards, some of which might appear in a deck when you buy it. The fuck? I don't get this at all. When you, what are you saying? You buy, you buy a blind box, all right? That blind box has an entirely made, pre-built, 36-card, non-modular deck inside of it. That is unlike every other deck that exists in the world. What does that mean? Because that like, means so, that you are going to buy like an idiot. You're like a fucking idiot. You're going to buy a bunch of these blind boxes and most of them will be shit and their entire decks. And instead of selling you packs, instead of selling you $10 packs, they're, they're going to sell you a $20 deck Hold that on. might be Crash. Okay, okay, okay. So, so okay, okay. So, how is there any proof that the deck has to exist together, or are you gonna get something where it's like, okay, so I got, I bought two decks. There are four goblin cards in this deck. There are five goblin cards in this deck. Maybe I start switching this deck around a little bit, and I how create. Dare you? So, so, so is it purely? Because that this is one of the questions I have. Like, is it a, is it purely a like the 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 um what like the spirit of the game kind of thing where it's like no you buy a deck and you keep that deck that way and you never optimize it and you try and figure out how to play that deck 
or because because then that's, like, that's the dream of the game and here's the other cool thing all right so well, I, well I, my problem is that like then, then to play it so so if if i ever owned a deck let me correct i would myself. burn the deck a deck is ten dollars all right okay a so ten dollars so so the idea is that when you want to fight it a single match is basically ten dollars worth of a match because you would no you learn that to, you you buy a deck and you're supposed to learn how to play that deck but what's the right? proof keeping that deck together like if you take that deck anywhere else then how would i be like yeah, uh, there's no way you haven't tampered with your deck. Your deck is on steroids. What are you, if you're like, looking to play competitive, then crack open a new deck. I, I imagine that every tournament of this game, like first off, this is such a cool idea because there, this game, unlike Magic, hardly any barrier to entry. You go to a Magic tournament, there's so much you need to know about the meta game to play it. But in KeyForge, you go to a KeyForge event. Let's say you don't know anything about Keyforge. You go there, you pay ten dollars, you crack open a deck, and and you're playing it, right? Yeah, you're playing it, are you, it and you are it, on. Is the know, person it, the person is saying this is James Mason, Millennium Blades fan, right? Hell yeah, that's hell the, yeah. That's who is. that's who's speaking right now. Okay, I just I wanted to figure out what over your persona is. Person who is to. also and someone who is also looking at Hearthstone, looking at the new releases of Hearthstone. And thinking to myself, man, I wish I had a card game to play that wasn't Hearthstone. I know, right? Oh God, that those cards, Some of those cards are look awful. Pretty interesting. Yeah, interesting is the word you used. Okay, right. those are some powerful cards. You see that Psycho Melon? That's some nasty stuff. Yeah, that's a good card to the ruin an entire right? meta. Um, so, so if you were, if you had a local game store, and that local game store was doing a KeyForge day. And you pay a $5 entry fee, you get a $10 deck that you get to keep, right? You buy it, it's yours. You're going to show up, right? I mean, I, th th this idea is cool. I'm not, I'm not saying this idea is not cool. The idea of, like, if I could get involved in a big tournament and at the beginning they were just going to slap a deck on me and be like, here it is, read through it, that's all you get. You don't get to optimize this, that's it. I hope you found some synergy. And then just the game was about, like, the most, like, literally a... It is the that is the child birth of 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 all card games is like I have these cards I must create win I must create win condition out of thin air and that's it like I like I can't have someone else tell me what is good I can't have someone else tell me what a win condition is I have to look at these cards and find a win condition I think the idea sounds really cool I just like I don't get like a lot of aspects to it like I just I don't get like like the like why wouldn't at some point someone just start to create better versions of decks and like optimize decks and create decks and like what is taking that out of there um i know a couple of things that i thought was kind of i thought was kind of inter interesting is that there's no life totals in keyforge you're not like you're not like creating minions to like fill up a board and then kill the opponent's health total you're trying to create i think three keys um like create keys during the game and you do them with the help of minions and stuff like that. But then there's minions that, like, hurt other minions. So it's, like, it becomes, like, a, like that's the game is, like, trying to figure out, like, how you can forge these keys. But then there's a whole board that you have to be worried about, like, the opponent taking over the board with minions. So if you ever play any minions, they get bounced back and stuff like that. So, but I, uh, I think it's, I think it's really interesting. Um, I want to see, uh, like, I, I want to see more Gen, Gen Con coverage and see uh, how exactly this works out in 
in play. I just don't get like 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 do do you understand the question I'm asking? Like if the well, sure, yeah, yeah. Like like I open two packs and one is like goblin racial and all the goblins have uh you know synergy and I'm looking at it like well why would I you know take this pack like not that I'm like like I understand the spirit of the game and everything. I'm just like I won't. I might not tamper with it, but I don't trust it to, like, take it anywhere and be like, yeah, here's my really unoptimized shitty deck. And someone's like, yeah, I got this perfect goblin deck. But there might even be, like, a code on the cards. Like, we don't know yet. Where, where like, imagine before a game you, like, swap your deck with someone and you all read, like, oh, yeah, so all your hex codes at the bottom here line up. We're good to go. Yeah, so that's that's what I'm asking is, like, if there were, if there were we'll like, a, if there were, like, a printed thing that would, like, prove that like every card in the deck belonged to the deck originally then it's interesting because then you do have a a a in-world sense of like trying to hunt down interesting decks that have interesting synergies and win conditions and And sometimes you you say trying to hunt down you mean paying thousands of dollars right um thousands i don't know yeah um uh, it's it's it is interesting, and and you know how uh, one of the reasons why I think that is really interesting is that like you and I do a lot of hanging out and stuff like that. So I could I could imagine a, a a good natural hangout post uh KeyForge like we both got KeyForge decks. Let's just like you know both of us anting up to ten bucks to have a good time and pop open the decks in front of each other. Pop open a fresh see, one. Yeah. yeah, see what we got, and then just be like, do you want to? Sean try like and that, that's that I, I feel like that could end to a that could that could uh lead to a lot of fun I I do love the concept like as long as there were a provable way that like to keep the decks together rather than like separating them and like making more optimal decks then this whole concept of like unoptimized unique weird decks as long as there were enough cards and enough like weird interactions that could possibly create like broken scenarios that like you would have a deck where it's just like i opened the lottery i I opened a deck where these cards should never be played together but they are they just so happen to be and i have like a crazy win condition here yeah so i guess the first question for me is how many unique decks are there and this game comes out next month okay it it comes out next month not to kickstarter it comes out to it because it's it's fantasy flight so they don't use it comes out to buy, yeah. Fantasy Flight doesn't do Kickstarters. Yeah, so they're offering a $40 uh, introductory set, which includes some starter decks, of which I imagine those starter decks are predefined, right? Um, I don't know. So, I mean, there's, I, yeah, I, I so think there's a lot of guessing. There's a lot of, like, you know, interpretation going on here that may not, yeah, so that the, may or may not be true. Keyforge Call of the Archon starter set is the perfect place to begin your adventures. As you race, race to gather Ember and unlock the Crucible's hidden vaults, you will find all the influence you need to begin your journey in this set, providing you with two training decks, as well as two unique Archon decks. So it sounds like in the $40 thing, what you're getting... There's two pre-made decks that teach you the game, and then two and random then two decks. Uniques. Yeah. Okay. And then additional uniques are ten dollars a pop. There's a lot of there. There honestly is a lot of interesting stuff to that. Like, it, it, I, I I like card games. I I uh, like I feel like I I enjoy Millennium Blades, but I feel like maybe this game could be 
a little bit more tangible than Millennium Blades, like more of an actual card game rather than Millennium Blades being like about card games. So I, I think I, I also think that there's like there, there's some cool aspects in this concept alone. And what I mean is like there are a lot of cards that aren't good, but the having forced to work with a deck, maybe you get cards that are like, you know, just minion fodder, but like you have to use it rather than throwing it away. And I think there's there's some interesting aspects to like the weight of cards shifting so dramatically um, based on the decks they come in and stuff like that. So I, I, I could see some interesting stuff with this game. Uh, I feel like I don't know enough. I feel like I'm like guessing a lot about the actual playing of the game. Yeah, I guess we'll see. And there is going to be there's they started to set up an FAQ already where they sort of skirt around some of these questions, but it says uh the differences in decks are unique in aesthetic nature, where every Archon deck has its own title and unique card back, displaying the figure of your Archon and helping you easily identify the cards of your Archon deck. I don't know what that actually means though. I don't I don't know. I guess then I it almost seems like they're going to be like X number, X number of archons. There's like, you know, there's like 20 different archons and there are these different pictures related to card backs. But then at that point, if that's the only proof, like, couldn't you just optimize in between archons? Yeah, but also maybe there's like a title and the titles are maybe procedurally generated. Oh, that would be dope. Right? That would be mad dope to have like, oh, yeah, I've got. Uh, I've got the Christmas I've got, taco. I've got Bajil, the the. Uh, you know, blit, uh, Blintzbender. There you go. So I'm interested in this. I'll probably uh, invest. My interest in is peaked. Yeah. My interest is peaked. Forty dollars is not a forty dollars for me is not like a tough tough sell at all. Like that's the kind yeah, of thing that's and... like pretty easy. Like I'm not saying that I'm gonna buy thousands of things, but like but like forty dollars to like have that moment of like to like do the starter decks and stuff like that, and maybe if those are fun, and then also to open up weird unique decks and then just try and figure out what I can do with that is there's some there's a lot of cool stuff going on there yeah and there's already some first impressions out it seems like there's some people who have already played the game yeah and I I, I heard good I heard good things I heard like con but also good and confused things so maybe everyone else is in the same boat as we are so other than that did you hear about this uh digital gloomhaven coming out next year no what what is that yeah so there is going to be a digital version of gloomhaven you can play gloomhaven on your computer i wonder if that will have a co-op online co-op imagine if it didn't so it says that it's a video game adaptation what i'm trying to figure out here here's some interesting tidbit the gloomhaven video game will be a dungeon-crawling roguelike that aims to capture the experience and appeal of the board game. It will initially be a single-player-only game, essentially replicating Gloomhaven's random dungeon mode, but you'll be able to unlock other things permanently. This sounds like a spin-off. A single-player experience? Gloomhaven is specifically not a single-player experience. The plan is to eventually build out the whole campaign over the course of its development, as it will initially launch in Steam Early Access. I think that's interesting. I just don't think that's Gloomhaven. It doesn't sound like Gloomhaven yet. I feel like if you want to do real Gloomhaven, then you have to like you have to do that really close. You have to replicate that really closely. And 
you should be able to play online or or locally with two to four players and you have to play multiplayer like you could sure you could do a local like with two players maybe out of the spirit of the game but i don't know yeah so i guess we'll see what happens i don't know that i see the allure of playing gloomhaven by myself on my computer with no narrative especially to start with there's a lot of questions i got um Anything else? Are you just giving me Gen Con news right now? I know, I know I'm that saying. uh, I know that Mythic announced another game, but I don't know that they 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 announced the name of it. It's like Reichbender or like Reichfaller or something like that, and it yeah, looks like some sort of like mech. It's like some sort yeah. of like mech anti Hitler stuff, but uh, we'll see more about that. Um, a bunch of other stuff. I mean, there's a uh, another edition of Arkham Horror was just announced. A Horizon Zero Dawn board game was announced. Okay. Does that get you in? Are you excited for that? Are you? No. Because I didn't like the I didn't like the video game, so I don't know that I need a board game. But oh well. So uh, have you been playing any of these uh, board games this week? I haven't played any board games. I yeah I I um I have been. I played uh I played like I said Charterstone. We'll talk about that later. I played pandemic and named a character after you and uh, why did you play pandemic is it legacy or what pandemic legacy season one okay and did you did you run into some really belligerent nasty uh person that you named after me no no um just the character that you're allowed to play as one of the uh playable characters is named james mason and james mason is friends with colonel mustard i mean actually he's oh, uh family good. members with colonel mustard so uh yeah that's something going on um uh we are in august in season pandemic season one is it any good it is it is really good um like it it is really good i feel like one of the things that that like it, it is so hyped up and i get it like i i get why there would be a lot of love for pandemic it's a very scary it's an intense game like pandemic itself is already an intense game and legacy adds all these things where like your it, it i mean correctly it's a legacy game like a lot of the things you do in the game from game to game will change the overall puzzles of the the upcoming games and i like that and pandemic is already really scary you don't want to draw those epidemic cards you get worried about like basically the AI deck of the infection cards, like kind of creating synergies to really screw you over and like keep hitting you with one disease and one area and then like multi outbreaking and stuff like that. Um, the pandemic legacy has a couple big surprises and cool things going on. Um, it is really a good game, but I feel like, I feel like uh, I, I want to, I, I feel like one of the, episodes that we do i want to talk about legacy and uh the problems with it and then the positives with it because i feel like pandemic legacy season one is largely a benefactor of the fact that when it came out it was legacy was less known and it was less explored because legacy at that point was like risk legacy and risk sucks ass so core risk sucks then people liked risk yes. legacy and then after that, Rob Davio went and like like teamed up with Matt Laycock for yes. season for Pandemic season one. So Pandemic, a good game already. And then that was like 
one of the first waves, if not like the second of the legacy games. And it was good to begin with. So I think that like this would have been an absolute shocker. But I'm coming into um, Charterstone and Charterstone is not infallible. I don't think Charterstone is like from a core mechanic, like so impressive, but from a legacy standpoint and from like the group I'm playing it with, I think it is just like, it is fun. It's gorgeous. It's, it, it throws curveballs your way and it makes everyone at the table sure. like ooh and ah. So, but that's not, is that a legacy thing? And, and, and further, is this the legacy episode? I mean, I, I would love to talk a little bit about Legacy because I have some Legacy things on my mind. And I, I love the format. I love the format. And I feel like the format is a little contentious. Um, and uh, I look forward to some of the Legacy. I own a bunch of Legacy games. And I'm like, w- I'm sitting on top of some of them, like waiting for for the time. Do, like, you, do you ever play a non-Legacy game and feel guilty? Um, no. Think, but you know what I mean, right? I, like, yeah, yeah that, like you're not working towards something. More. It's like your pile of shame. It's like when you have a, like when you're going through like a story video game, and you know you like and, it. Yeah, you're you going through a story video game, and then you play it. Dragon Ball Fighters. Exactly. And it's like, yeah, this game is fun, but it's not leading me anywhere. Um, no, not necessarily. Uh, this game is fun, but I can't talk about it on the podcast anymore. Yeah, <laughs> that's true. Um, uh. Yeah, uh, I'll talk about Legacy in a bit. I played Machi Koro. Okay, so Machi Koro, uh, that is a game about rolling dice. That is, uh, which is kind of a backhand that is not fair uh, after playing a little bit. Um, I, 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 I'm, I'm looking at Machi Koro from the uh, Shut Up and Sit Down, Machi Koro versus Splendor. So I kind of compared which is them. An interesting way to look at it. Which I feel like the it is. easiest way to compare it is to space space. Right? It is. It is space space. So you know. So you know a little bit about Machikoro, then, huh? Well, sure. Right. I mean, it's a game where you roll dice and things happen, and the when the opponents roll dice and things happen, different things happen for you. So essentially, one of the cool things about Machikoro is that regardless of whose turn it is. You got to pay some attention. Right? Yeah, the dice rolling is always important, um, which I think is a great mechanic. Always, like uh, 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 Space Base has a massive thing going for it that I think few games can achieve, and that is exactly what you said: is that you roll dice, and then it becomes a very cerebral thing of like, do uh, do I want to use the added up thing? Do I want to use the individual dice? And like building up to like cover your your chances or your bases rather and uh you know diversifying your portfolio kind of or like going for a strategy and hoping that like that, that a little bit of like both intelligence and luck wins out um machi koro one of the cool things with machi koro is that it's much less random than space base uh to the point where i think you could have a consistent winner every time and it feels like you can look at turns and see choices of why people did certain things uh, and go backwards to see uh, why a win happened. And one of the coolest things about Machi Koro, I think, is that it is a game that is so unbelievably simple that you can set it up and then go, just be like, I'll take the first turn, just take your first turn, and then the person going afterwards will be like, I completely understand this game. 
There's so do you think that Machikura was so simple that you could explain it right now? Okay, without so... Without getting lost in the weeds. Yeah, I think I maybe can. I can attempt to try. Let's see. Okay, so... Uh, Machikoro is similar to Space Base. It, you, you roll a dice. That's the very beginning of your turn. And if any of your cards correspond to the number rolled on that dice, you get the benefit on it. Um, there, What's the benefit? What does the benefit look most like? Most of the benefits are like get gold. Get gold based on other cards that you have um, or, you know, just get gold. And... So roll the dice, get the gold. A lot of a lot of cards, especially in the beginning of the game, and the ones that you that people will value in the beginning of the game are stuff like uh, whenever a one is rolled, whether or not it's on your turn, you get one gold. And then there there are green, there are blue cards that are, are always give you a positive effect, no matter what whose turn it's, it is. There are green cards that only give you a positive effect on your turn when you're rolling. There are red cards that. Uh, when the opponents are rolling, they can negatively affect your opponents. Like the oppo- like you have a card that activates on three, and your opponent rolls a three, and then you take gold from them. And then there are finally purple cards, which are <coughs> a little bit more technical, cost a little bit more, and they activate at the end of, of this whole row. So it's red cards, uh, blue and green cards, and then purple cards. But that's not really important, because the main thing is you are building a tableau, you are rolling a dice at the begin you are rolling dice at the beginning of your turn. You are seeing if anything corresponds to it. You're making money off of it. Your opponent might be making money off of it. And you're buying something to slowly build out uh, more tableau to cover all your bases to make more money off of every dice roll. And are all the cards understandable? Um or are they all very simple? Uh some of them are, are like ones ha- you have to look up. There there uh all the cards are some there there has been like there's a there's an errata in the back that has like Oh, by the way, some of these cards might be a little confusing sounding. Here's the rules for them. Um, but uh, for the for the most part, uh, a, most of the cards are ridiculously simple. Some of the uh, purple cards, which are like the more surprising cards, and like I think those are new. Those are in because Ma- because there was Machikoro, Machikoro, and there's Machikoro Bright Lights Big City, and that's ex- an expansion that I believe includes everything. Plus some right. slight different, plus more uh, cards, the purple cards, which are like different in the only fact that like, uh, because there's two, similar to Splendor, um, you keep out five cards, you have a deck and you keep out five cards that people can buy and whenever they buy, you re-up it and you have two decks, you have a, okay. you have a, you have a six and below and you have a seven and above. So okay, yeah, so this is also the same way that space base does it, just about. Yeah. So you, yeah, you have, you have, these you have a, high value and low value. Yeah, you have a six and below and a seven above, and uh, basically, like like the game. I, I think one of the interesting things is the game starts to get less random as it goes because the 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 win condition of the game is that you start with these six, um, uh, like major their landmarks, and they are not constructed. And there's a cost to constructing them, and then constructing them gives you a benefit from then on. Um, and once you construct all six of the benef- of the la- of the uh, landmarks that you are that you start with, uh, you win the game, and that's it. Um, okay, cool. Uh, but but that's the landmarks the, the landmarks the, the main idea of the landmarks is they start cutting down on as you're building them, and you get further in the game, you start cutting down on 
dice roll randomness and you start to be able to influence the rolls a lot more so yeah by just like space space, by later in the game there starts to be a lot more choices and a lot more and a lot more influence on dice rolls so for example you start out the game uh with a card that gets you one gold if you roll a one and then a card that gets you if anyone rolls a one and then you get and you start out the game with a card that is uh if you roll a two or three on your turn and you are just making money and you're building up your tableau um and you get access to pretty early on for only four gold you can flip over your train station which is one of the uh, uh landmarks that every anyone always has in the beginning of the game and you pay the four gold and then the train station says now you can roll two die so now at that point you're rolling between two and 12 and that maybe if you start going for that you can go for a strategy where you're getting all these higher cost cards uh the different than space space like i like there's like higher costs don't have any um don't typically cost just more um like it's more like whether or not it kind of ends up being a part of overall strategy, whether or not you want to roll one die or two die. Um, sure. And then you get to And then later on, as you're going, you get to the point where you start to be able to roll three dice and then pick which two dice you want to activate, basically. Um, so you get to All even right. so you'd even start looking around like, OK, so I can activate 10, but the other the opponent's going to make a ton of money off of that. So maybe I'll activate these two other dice and instead I'll make I'll activate it as an eight and then I'll make money. And that's it. Like, I feel like so it's cool. Yeah. So it sounds like it's not that random it, after it, a while. I yeah. Mean, like, like, in the be- you, you, can you get a series of bad rolls? Mm, yeah. Um, I feel like the uh, I've, I've been kind of impressed with the overall game flow. I've played two rounds of it and I felt like. At one point in one of the rounds, like in one of the games, I was like kind of getting behind and I felt like like there's almost no way for me to get back in economically. Okay. And and, and how quick does it play? Uh, like one hour? Uh, I would say, okay, so let's say 40 minutes to an hour for people who don't know. And once you understand, uh, th- there's very little you can do on a turn. Like you roll the dice, yeah. you make the income, and then with your options, like what do you want to buy? And then once okay, it, once something is constructed, people, it's over. Let me tell you, I have a friend named Kevin Klein who I've played Space Base with, and he will spend several minutes looking at cards. And I don't know if you know about me or if you ever think about the time yeah, you. I mean, you 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 figure out what you want to do when it's coming to you. Oh, I I think about what I want to do after my turn. Yeah. Like I rev, you know, I rev up. Yeah. Um, I I feel like uh, so I played a game with my LTCP and it took about an hour the first game and we were also kind of figuring stuff Just out. The two of you? And, yeah, and talking about rules and like, oh, how does this card exactly work? And then like looking at it and little little independent like little kind of rules that will always come up. Stuff like um, uh, this doesn't say like it says you know. This card activates on a six, and it says swap cards with with an opponent. Um, and do I? I don't want to do that right now. Do I have to? And it's like yes, because it doesn't say may. So st- little rules like that. And once we figured out those kind of things, uh, it started to move a lot smoother. Um, but that was kind of like the first uh, game of it. Took an hour uh, just because we had a lot of like different questions. And then the second game we played it took about twenty minutes. Oh, cool! All right. So 
I played a game that is maybe the exact opposite of Machi Koro in terms of the way that you uh, explain it and can explain it, uh, and that's Terra Mystica. I know you played Terra Mystica. Um, I trial ran Gaia Project. But we're talking about Terra Mystica. Yeah, and that is a hallowed name. That's why I got I got very excited. Uh, so Terra Mystica is through and through. You take away the uh, fantasy theme, and it's just a really heavy, really complicated Euro. I feel like there's but no, there's almost you, barely a theme, especially like looking at components you, yeah. and stuff. But when you muck about the rules and you learn it, it's not that different from every other euro such as like castles of burgundy save for the fact that the variable player powers and sort of that variety it gives you a lot more to sort of play with and i also think that uh it's a little more interactive than like your default europe euro so for those who don't know a euro is usually a game where you are developing some sort of city or some sort of town on a board and in Terra Mystica, what you're doing is you are trying to uh, build a city as a specific race. So there's a race of witches and there's a race of nomads. And each of these different races have their, their the land that they prefer, where witches prefer forests and the nomads prefer the desert. And the reason why that matters is because one of the options for something that you can do on your turn is you can terraform the land essentially you can change it to be the type of land of your race and essentially there's like this wheel of okay it's easy to turn a forest into a wetland but it's very hard to turn a forest into a desert and essentially the manipulation of this terrain is also the way that you sort of mess with the people who are near you who are also trying to terraform the land and essentially build next to you for certain trade benefits so there's like this push and pull of i want to be near people but if i'm near them they could mess up the land that i'm working with or they could interrupt my ability to create a town could i could i and, um interject real quick uh so in terra mystica are you you can do something like terraform an area to be slightly different than the original and then end your turn and it's it's that now that like you, you took a forest and you made it a desert but you haven't built anything on it necessarily like you just did that to block another player or to make it more economically yes. okay so uh one quick thing uh i think it's interesting uh gaia project you do that on a turn like you do not gaia form a planet to be a different like it has the same mechanic where there are planets that are like either easier or further away from your uh, habitable planet style, and but you 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 spend all the resources up front, and then you Gaia form the planet, and then you put something down immediately. So you don't have any of that. You like... can do that. You can do that in Terra Mystica if you have the resources, but the resources of terraforming and of creating an, uh, uh, a settlement there. They're separate. Yeah, so so it all happens all at once. once. And do it, the it, action at once if you want. I think it's you interesting. You can also choose to just do one. It, it all happens ab absolutely at once with Gaia Project, where you terraform, then play something, but you don't terraform and then leave it that way. So it's kind of cool. I like that idea of Terra Mystica of like having that extra choice of like 
maybe I, I, my opponent might want to build here. I don't have the amount of money or resources to be able to terraform it to a completely inhabitable, a completely habitable place for me. But what I can do is I can terraform it one step in a direction away from the opponent, basically, and make it so that it, it's even more expensive and they might not be able to do it on that turn. You know, one thing that we've been uh, sort of talking about the last couple of weeks is how board games end. And, you know, at the end of these sort of um, Euro games, you always end up counting up points. Uh, but the thing that I find really interesting about games like Terra Mystica is that essentially they're happening over a number of rounds, right? So you have your first round and then you use all your workers and the amount of gold that you have. And when you no longer can do anything, you pass, right? And then at the start of the next round, you're getting the income based on what you did in the last round. So eventually you get to that final round, that round six, where essentially you're getting all the fruits of your labors, where you should have at this point amassed like tons of workers and tons of gold because you have this almost fully developed city. So the game really comes to this like ultimate climax in that round six, where there's so much you can do. And essentially at the end of the game, you're just going to get this explosion of points at the very end where you're developing maybe two towns in that final round and just scoring like a ton of points where there really does feel like there is this sort of epic conclusion to the game. Hmm, that's interesting. Uh, for their next game after that guy project, like the spiritual successor, uh, it... Is that what it is? It's the spiritual I mean, I mean, it happens in the Terra Mystica universe. It's, that's wacky. I it had happens no idea. in the Terra Mystica universe. So uh, it's a little bit different. It's a lot more uh, contained, actually. It's weird for you to say that because in Gaia Project, I think throughout the game, you're kind of always strapped for resources. So you never necessarily, like, even on the turn six, which is the final turn for Gaia Project, uh, you aren't necessarily like exploding with resources and doing all this stuff. You're kind of always like very constrained. What do you think it was that made them, and, and I want to get your input after you play this game, but this is something that I want you to ruminate on when you play Terra Mystica. Uh, what is it that made them feel like they need to develop another game similar to Terra Mystica? Um, money. Yeah, but it's got to be more, like, is it doing something else, right? It is doing a lot of different things, yeah. I I, assume, I I mean like I'm already telling you like like th there is like the game has similar mechanics but the balance is very tightly different. I feel like uh, you're saying the Terra Mystica has this. Uh, first of all, uh, Gaia Project doesn't have workers, so I don't I don't I don't know exactly how workers work, but Gaia Project has an overall upkeep, which I guess might be similar to workers. Um, and then you don't really have that much money per round and you're kind of constrained, especially with like where you are on the board and what opponents are doing and you end the round and like, there's all these other things. There's all these, like the, the game is very, uh, modular. It's the game is very like, um, random, but perfect random, like perfect knowledge where, uh, the, the setup of the game, like, and what will reward you in each game is like super random, but, you have perfect knowledge over like what everyone is capable of the resources of people. Uh, there's no dice rolling and no like random elements after the game has been set up. 
Yeah, I mean, that's most Euros, the, right? The, yeah. I mean, well, yeah, I guess some of them. Most of them. Uh, any Euro that I know is sort of like that. Uh, have you played Castles of Burgundy? I haven't. Have I told you, like, one of the one of the things that I think is really cool about Castles of Burgundy is that there are yearly, like, Castles of Burgundy championships. And for those Castles of Burgundy championships, what they do is they release a championship board that has a different layout than any board that's ever existed. So essentially, the players on the fly need to figure out how do I optimize this board that I've never seen before? And I think that's pretty cool. That's really neat. Uh, there is a Terra Mystica expansion that is pretty well-reviewed, but at the same point, is Gaia Project the Terra Mystica expansion? Um, I, I feel like it would be really cool next week to uh, hang out and do Gaia Project and Terra Mystica back-to-back, because maybe as hard and like impenetrable as... Gaia Project feels like maybe understanding Terra Mystica will have a good, there'll be like a good segue to it. I, I, so I don't know, like, I, I talked a little bit about Gaia Project last week, but I feel like Gaia Project was a, was like an absolute nightmare to teach. And it, it is like, it is so many, it's so much symbology and so much weird stuff. And then there's like stuff that should have only been explained through text, text like uh, the the race's powers are like very weird. And some of them, like, for example, like some of them will have multiple paragraphs of text explaining what they do, but then they'll like try to sum them up with these like symbols that don't really make any sense. And I don't even know why they're there at that point. If they're that unique and weird that they require like multiple paragraphs of rules explanations for what they do. Uh, I feel like the races are like so different in in Gaia Project to the point of like really uh, deciding your win condition and like how you'll win that game. And I understand. I got you. I, I, I mean, is Terra as ridiculous? Like, is it as many yeah, like symbols sure. where people are just like, "What does this thing mean?" and "What does that symbol mean when it's behind that background color?" And then yeah, if it's this absolutely. color that's split into thing. two... These are made by the same people. Yeah. And who knows? Maybe they learned something from Terra Mystica and made it more simple in Gaia Project. No. Nobody said that. For whatever weird reason, it actually ends up being more complicated in Gaia Project from what I've heard. I have never, uh, I have never heard anyone say Terra Mystica is less heavy. Other than that, yeah, I bought a copy of Spirit Island. Yes. That's a pretty fucking good game. I've heard so much good stuff. I have never played Spirit Island. Have you opened well, it or done anything with week. it? Yeah, I opened it. I played it. I played a two ver- two player version of that game. It's okay. good. I'm already thinking about getting the expansion, which I hear is also very good. But at the same time, do I play the expanded Spirit Island or do I just play other games? I'm always, always, always just trying to get Millennium Blades and Food Chain Magnate to the table. Yeah. And if I put other games on the shelf, am I making it less likely that those get to the table? And more importantly, I think about the idea of you and I getting together. And what do I think about? I think about Twilight Imperium. But then I think about the fact that I need a very specific set of people to be in the right mindset to play that game. I want to get another scythe going really badly. I'm tentative. I'm a tentative yes on that. Um, I was going to say something, but I forgot. You open up that uh, Scythe expansion. You started digging into that, right? I think we already covered that a bit on I, the podcast. Uh, I did not open up Rise of Fenris. 
there is a big uh, Scythe Legacy expansion coming out uh, publicly for people who didn't uh, back the Kickstarter uh, coming out near the end of August. So uh, I think uh, it should be I should be getting it around August 21st and a lot of cool stuff in that expansion. Uh, very well reviewed and talked up by people. Can't really say very much about that. Are, do you have your uh, Do you have your fingers in any Kickstarter pies right now? Um, other than, I mean, I told you about. Uh, there, there was some that like are so. I feel like Kickstarter is starting to get scary because it's starting. We're starting to go more towards that like extreme like because it's it, it's been trending towards like minis and more expensive projects, but now there's like more and more expensive mini projects there's like two... i don't even care about those yeah i don't care much. about those at all but but uh there's like two big ones at the same time that that like to get the everything that they're offering is like you know 500 600 it's like that's absurd that's a very absurd thing but um uh same kind of i believe same kind of news that i had from last week yeah, nothing new. Escape plan. Yeah, I'm more interested in that in that Thunderstone quest. I, I'm getting off. A, I'm going off of that. Building game. Yeah, you're off getting of off because I'm, because I'm getting on. Yeah, but that's a that is a James game right there. That's my kind. That of is game. James game. Yeah, I, it looks really good, but it just it it seems like I, I explained to you why it doesn't make any sense because I would never take it over to your house. It's just too big. Yeah, and they've got a the the so very wrong just did a episode about it. Yeah. One thing that really bums me out is that I missed this um, expedited shipping. I don't know if you saw that uh, one of the Kickstarter uh, pledges was that you pay $150 and they instantly ship the base game to you. Yeah, I think I have that. That's what you had? You No, I don't think you did because uh, you wouldn't opt out of having that. I mean, I have only the... A thousand. If anything, yeah, I do. You probably I do. Pledged you're opted in for the expedited? Yeah, I did. I had Champions and Barricades expedited. US okay, only. so don't opt out. So stay with it, and I'll send you money okay. so that we have the game immediately. Okay. Because did you already opt out? I did not. Okay, yeah. So if you already have the expedited, then you should stick to that, and I'll pay you for it because that reward is no longer available. And that's a very cool reward because we're going to get that base game instantly. Oh, cool. Because they also have the, you know, what I would opt in for would be champions plus barricades. But yeah, we I, I do have that. Not I have champion plus barricades expedited. Yeah, so that's great. Because right now, they don't have that available anymore. Uh, the only reward that they have available is uh, you get champions and barricades, but you don't get it until uh, the game is out in April 2019. Okay. So with that, with the tier that you opted in is getting you, they send you the base game instantly, and then they send you uh, the the expansion when it comes out. Mm -hmm. So very cool that you got that. So I'm excited to even check Thunderstone Quest out earlier because that game is no longer in print. You can't get Thunderstone Quest unless you back this Kickstarter. Unless. Because they only have a... like even think about that. Like the company that developed this game only has a thousand copies of the base game sitting around. Oh yeah. Which which maybe is a lot. I don't know. That that it's AEG, so they're a pretty big publisher, but is a thousand a lot for a niche enthusiast sort of hobby? Maybe? Not really. Yeah, know. not really, I guess not. I mean you see what Splatter uh, is doing with like constantly re- having to reprint food chain magnate, even though they never had to do that before. So, yeah, so I, I mean, that's also part of 
I mean, the hobby's getting bigger, right? It, it, very exponentially, it feels like. And we are and, part of that, right? Like, that that's an interesting... Yeah. But you also realize that, like, a lot of this is based on sort of the trends of video games right now, too, right? I feel like these two things are intimately connected and no one's talking about it. Well, keep going. Go on. Okay, so video games are getting less social, right? So I feel like board games are kind of cleaning up on this. And also, I feel like a lot of people who were playing you know, video games growing up, now they're in their early, you know, their late 20s, early 30s, and they're thinking, how do I connect with people at this age? What do I do to spend time with people? Because I don't know anymore. We don't go out to the bars to drink. Uh, all the video games are played online. So what do I do? And I think a lot of people are turning to board games for that reason. I, I wonder the, if... The grew up with with video games i wonder if there's anything to like uh like our age group like the current 20 year olds uh there used to be these huge huge families and because of that you would have huge families on the block and then people would hang out and play baseball and everything and then you had that fall off because around like like post baby boomers baby boomers usually had like you know, instead of having seven kids, they had two to three kids move to like split up suburban neighborhoods and stuff like that. So on my block, there weren't any kids. Like I just didn't have kids. And I feel like a lot of other people uh, lived a similar life where you didn't necessarily have that like open block where all the kids are running around and hanging out and they all hang out together and play sports or something. So a lot of the kids ended up playing uh, like like, uh, you know, video games because that was all we had. Yeah. Uh, but then now uh, the, the 20 year olds are got older, got cars and also ended up living in a lot of like more hip like or gentrified neighborhoods where you have a lot of areas that like ended up being younger. And those ki- those people that could never hang out with people, but still develop this this love of like games as a as a whole like you know puzzles and competition uh ended up being older and now suddenly in an area where they were on a block filled with people and this is like the result of that does that make sense yeah yeah for sure uh and i think it's interesting because i don't think anybody's really talking about this but i think that all right you can mark my words uh prediction for 2019 video game websites are going to start leaning heavier into board games and doing and, reviews, huh? Yeah. And also I think that there are going to be some articles that are going to talk about this and cause it's something I've been thinking about. And, you know, this is also, I didn't come to this conclusion by myself, but it's actually John Getz is the one who introduced me to this idea that video games are becoming less social uh, and board games are picking up the slack. But at the same time, it's hard to say because kids these days... Kids these I mean, days. Fortnite, right? Fortnite is an extremely social experience. And people connect over it because of the zeitgeist, and people connect over it because... Are kids playing, playing board games, phones. or is it 20-somethings plus? I I think the kids are playing mobile games. I, I'm not, I'm not, I think I kids play video games that. now, and I think 20-year-olds stopped playing video games and they started playing board games. But not me. I'm but not me. I'm playing, I'm playing both. Um, so what else? And, you know, speaking of which, I actually started playing of a which? local co-op video game. And I've been um, playing this local co-op video game with friend of the show Charlene, but also friend of the show Kevin Klein. 
what is this local co-op game? Is it Enter the Gungeon? It is Streets of Rogue. And Streets of Rogue is a very easy to play roguelite where essentially you are going into these uh, procedurally generated cities. You, you choose a character at the start of the game. Uh, so your character might be a hacker or a thief or a soldier, sort of just these different like generic archetypes. And you go into this predefined city and you're getting uh, these procedurally generated quests. And you also have the quest of the character that you're playing as. So for example, the soldier will go into a level and he's always going to have the quest of find and destroy the three generators. But then he's also going to have the procedurally generated quest of uh, go into this uh, gang hideout and press all these buttons or convince the bartender to give you this item. And all of the different characters are going to have different ways of doing things where the thief might be able to sneak into the gang hideout or the soldier might go in guns blazing or there's more complicated characters like the comedian who might be able to walk into the gang hideout and tell a funny joke. And some of the gang members might be like, that's a pretty funny joke. You can go by or that's a bad joke and I'm just going to start attacking you. Uh, but it's a pretty neat game that changes a lot depending on which characters uh, you bring. And also there's a co-op aspect of different players who are picking different characters who can kind of like synergize with one another where maybe one player chooses the comedian and starts telling jokes to people while the thief sneaks in behind them while the comedian is distracting them. And as you're playing through the game, you're sort of doing these secret objectives that are unlocking you new characters. So for example, I unlocked the comedian by killing someone with a banana peel. Huh. So it is kind of like this, this game that you have to deal with the fact that it doesn't take itself seriously. And it has like some kind of dumb writing. It's not like offensive, but, but it's kind of lame. Right. And that's okay, okay for, for the, this sort of game where it, it can kind of be a party game where you can get four people and just like have this wackiness to it. But the thing that I'm also impressed by is how they deal with um, the camera perspective in this top-down game, where essentially you will share the screen, but if you get further away from from each other, then the screen will split in half and it'll do like this kind of slowdown so that you can acclimate to the fact that the game is about to slice the screen. Mm-hmm. It's one of the more elegant uh, ways I've seen dealing with uh, the split screen slash overhead view of a game. Okay. And it's on what's Steam. That, what's it's that on? Okay. And I think that you could probably convince anyone to play this with you. And I bet in the future that this would make a great Switch game where you just like pull the Joy-Cons apart, hand a Joy-Con to someone else and play the game. Except that I think that it kind of requires two... Uh, like it, I think it requires dual sticks to play because it's sort of like a dual stick shooter. Okay. And I, I've been playing this on my Steam Link, actually. How does that work? Uh, the Steam Link, and this isn't something that you would need, uh, but the Steam Link effectively streams from your computer to your TV. Okay. Uh, so there's, I haven't noticed the latency. I'm guessing that if I were playing a fighting game, like there, there'd be like a tiny bit of latency here that would really like throw me off. Uh, but Streets of Rogue, it's fifteen dollars. It's early access, and it's by Tiny Build, and they uh, publish. What else do they do? They did a couple things. 
you know, I'm clicking their name on Steam, and Steam is taking a while to load, so this is a really inelegant sequence. Did they, did they do Tiny Wings? But I will say that Streets of Rogue t- touts itself as being Nuclear Throne meets Deus Ex meets the Anarchy of GTA. That's a lot. That's a lot of uh, that's a lot of uh, hats to wear. Pretty good game. Uh, have you been playing any video games? Because otherwise, I'll just tell you about Yakuza Zero. But there's not much to say. So I started playing Yakuza Zero uh, on the PC. The start of that game is really just a lot of upfront story. Oh yeah, it's bad. I, I played uh, five or six or something like that, and it was it was a rough amount of story. It was like actually like four hours of exploit of exposition but i like it it's sort of just like this soapy crime drama where like there's some betrayals and uh but i but i love how the game sort of mixes it's like how funny and weird it is with also being this semi-serious crime drama Uh uh-huh i think that's kind of the shtick of yakuza right but they tread the line in sort of like a metal gear solid sort of like this game is weird and funny and also at times serious. Yeah. Sure. I didn't get that far into the one I played, but I guess I'll have more to say on it once I play it more. The combat is serviceable. Uh it's a serviceable like brawler game. You get money, you level up, you buy stuff, you sing karaoke, you do all this very weird side stuff where you're also like there's there's a business simulation management. There's like a racing game. There's a lot going on. What are you playing? Um, I'm still playing Octopath. It's uh, me it's, too. It's wearing itself thin. Wait, how how far are you? Prequels? I got through all the prologue. I uh, I'm sort of grinding between two different characters' uh, second stories. I I don't like that. Um, you can basically complete the prologues at any level because they're all low level so whenever you're getting to them they're 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 completable um but then after you complete everyone's prologue you start having to kind of actually grind for stories which i don't really like that much um it's another reason why jrpgs are are a pretty terrible genre and then also um uh i don't currently like the fact that i can't switch my main character so the character you initially pick i think is locked for in your party it's yeah. locked in your party for four games and my character is uh alfin the apothecary and it's not the Same. worst it's not the worst character to have locked in there because like kind of does a little does a little bit of everything like has and you're uh, gonna unlock more stuff right yeah. like there's obviously subclassing in there there game. is subclassing um and stuff like that so uh but it, it kind of like it's frustrating because there's like he is also pretty bland and uh there's characters yeah, at this point that I'd rather just like always that, yeah. have there. I don't I don't know if you got to a second character story, but I've been playing it and I was actually surprised that there is dialogue with there the it, other characters. Yeah, I, I remember I said uh last week that I wish that there was just like a Tales uh thing where they would just have dialogue between characters as like, you know, just like stilted uh quick dialogue between characters, like out of context almost. And they do that um to whatever effect like it, it's important that they have, at the very least try so i should give them a pat on the back i'm gonna keep playing it i'm gonna keep playing it uh i'm at the i did the second uh or the i guess technically the first of the therion stories outside of the uh prologue and uh 
I did, uh, and now uh, I'm on to... Right, so, so Therion is actually... Uh, so I'm working for... Um, I'm at Therion too, and Primrose, because I think that they do have, like, the levels there are fixed. Yeah. Uh, so the they're they're easy good, to get though. to. I mean, it's still good. Um, I, like, I like playing it. I like the moment to moment. I like the way it looks. I like the way it sounds. Uh, I don't like random encounters. Like, I don't... I don't like that. Oh, there's plenty of stuff I don't like about it. I have to deal with that. There's plenty of stuff I don't like about it, but um, I'll still play it, I guess, for the time I being. I, I, don't hate, I don't hate the it. Only thing, the only thing I don't like is random encounters. I can deal with everything else. Uh, so that's what I've been playing. Yeah, other than that Except for me. Enter the Gungeon. I'm, I've been nonstop on Enter the Gungeon. That's a damn fine game. You should check that out sometime. Yeah, I'm, I'm busy with Dragon Ball Fighters. I'm loving it right now. I can't wait to get those new characters. And Evo is out is is starting tomorrow. Can't wait to see how that goes. I feel like there's a lot of momentum and movement throughout the tier lists and uh, throughout the top players. So that should be really exciting. And Dragon Ball Fighters actually is the headliner, which is pretty unheard yeah, of. So that's that's very cool, very impressive. Kind of unheard of for a non-Capcom game because it's usually Street Fight. The current Street Fighter is the headliner, and uh, Dragon Ball Fighters was the uh had the highest amount of entrance and uh according to the uh evro uh promoters and i guess mr wizard uh it is also uh the most hyped and like has the biggest stream support and stuff like that so uh that will be the final game of evo very excited to see that to uh there there's an exciting upcoming balance patch plus base goku base vegeta very excited about that but i've already talked about that yeah uh also one thing that I forgot to mention is I finished Cultist Simulator. Uh, I'll play more of that, I think. Uh, there are There's quite a bit of variety, I think. So I think I'll play through it at least one more time, see some different stuff, and uh, wait for more content. Okay. I think that my playthrough of that game, my final playthrough in which I finished the game, was probably about 40 hours. And I think that if I played through it again, I could probably beat the game in like three hours now that I sort of have unlocked the puzzle and understand the language. Okay. Go in there, grab myself some more achievements. Wow, that is, that is very different. You know? huh. Okay. Uh, those are my games. You got any more games? I don't know. Do you want to just talk about legacy as a concept? Anything, anything we... you're looking forward to? Um. Not really. I kind of explained the stuff I'm looking forward to. More Dragon Ball Fighter stuff uh, and Valkyria Chronicles you know, kind of switch. A, and... uh, there's a board game sale on uh, Steam this weekend. You could buy Terra Mystica, the board game, the video game. Oh, maybe I'll do that. But when I need, a, like, how, how, how does playing that with people a, work, though? There's, I have no idea. Don't ask me. But they, like, Is it on Tabletop Simulator or... No, it's just it's a standalone board game. Oh, so like I wonder if you can play with a computer and go through it. I guess you probably can. Which would probably be really good for learning, actually. But uh, maybe I would do I would do that if I could do that because tabletop simulator, as you said, is more is like very open to the point of like there's no actual rules. You're just moving pieces and components around. Yeah, uh, so like you would realize. Actually, uh, there is. There is. Um, there is computers to play. Okay. Oh, for and, Terra Mystica. That's what you're saying. Okay. And uh, this board game version features uh, Fire and Ice expansion. Oh, I'll t- I'll check that out. I'll get that actually. I'm I'm thinking I'm looking at Terra Mystica 
Fire and Ice expansion on Amazon, and I'm thinking about it. I think I need, like, I feel weird though. Like maybe I should play the game more before committing. To before you understand how Fire and Ice changes. I know what it does. I think it adds like another six races. Well, there you and go. And adding more races is a cool thing. Uh, are there any games that maybe you've been like eyeing for board games? I've been eyeing this game that I can't buy. I think that it's only available right now to people who kickstarted it, and it's called Everdell. Uh, is that the one that is the? Comp- is that that's not the one that is like the legacy where you put in the actual spots into a board, right? Everdell is a sort of um, it's a building drafting sort of game where there's a tree. I think if you saw what it looked like, you saw it actually has like this um, this 3D aspect to the board itself, where if you've seen it, you wouldn't forget it. Okay. Very neat. Other than that, there's no other games I'm really looking at because I feel like one of the games that I was missing was this sort of heavy Euro-y game. The only game that I'm also thinking about and that I'm always kind of thinking about in the background is Terraforming Mars because... I feel like I need a relaxing, non-competitive game that I can play with anybody. So I have some people who can get very testy. Uh, An example of this would be, I I love him to death, but sometimes he can be hard to play games with, and that's Alex. I was going to say. Where it would be fantastic to have this sort of non-competitive, easygoing game like Terraforming Mars, and you think about Alex, I feel like this is the kind of game he would love. Hmm. Okay, I, I could see what you're saying. So that's the one I'm thinking about. I uh, don't for, know. for me, I feel like I, I've been looking for like a Machikoro Splendor kind of thing where it's something that is like so easy to bring around. Uh, I Whenever I go to volunteer at Bayshore, uh, there's these like probational members that always want me to bring games. And I feel like I, I brought five minutes. Can you bring like a one a one v one game? Could you get like Jaipur or something like that? I don't, I don't know. Like I feel like I no because it, it's a lot of people want to get in on it at the same time. So I need these like slightly yeah more uh, bigger board games, and I want them to be more interesting because I played five How minute dungeon Azul? with them. Uh, that's okay. So that was the one I was gonna say. Uh, that was actually the 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 uh, other that was the other thing that I've been having my eye on is it's Azul. so pretty it's very gorgeous it's very simple from a rules explanation uh but very high level like like it's it's up in that splendor thing where uh it, it there's many choices that you have to make as you get better at the game and that the game gets like more intense but it's like really ex- it, it's exceedingly ex- simple to explain yeah, people consider it to be even easier than Splendor, and I think people in general like it more. Yeah, people love Azul. That's been I am really eyeing Azul as like It's not that expensive. It's on sale right now. You could just grab it. What on Amazon? Yes. Oh, then I'll I'll look at that actually. I'll I think it's like thirty two dollars right now. Oh, that's a really reasonable price. Especially for how gorgeous that game is. That we're, yeah, it's aren't, on sale right aren't now. Aren't they making like a $200 Azul? Are you a Prime member? I am. Then it's on sale for you. Let me look at that. Let me make a dumb decision on the podcast however, live. However, however, it is not in stock right now. So oh. think about that. Oh, there's nothing to think about then. It's back ordered. Well, there you go. But hey, it's cheap. $32. Betrayal. What about betrayal? I wouldn't you, bring that. You betrayed me. 
Sorry, I mean that's not bad though. Did you watch the video I sent you? That I, I really I, I, I've been watching that. I, I I loved his. I, I said that I've I've seen that that person before. I love the rules explanation for uh, code names and especially the Battleship one actually made Battleship a better game. I yeah, uh, the the thing that we're talking about is there is a uh, YouTuber called the Dragon's Tomb, and he has how to play videos for all these different board games where he just he doesn't tell you the rules of the game. He just sort of like spoofs them and makes fun of the game. And I really loved the betrayal at House on the Hill where he's like actually riffing on the game and like making fun of the game the whole time because I love betrayal at House on the Hill. But if you take that game seriously at all, you're going to have a miserable time. Why do you say that? Because that game has so much random shit in it. Have you played betrayal? Um, no, but I, I played the uh, Baldur's Gate portrayal. All right, so so you you sort of know what I'm getting at there, where you sort of have this initial, where it's sort of like this two phase game, where the randomness of the first phase can greatly change, like the way that the second phase ends up, and can totally make the second phase inconsequential. Where I don't know if you remember during Dragon's Tomb, where he said like. My favorite thing about this game is sometimes the players have the items they need right away. And that's great because then we don't need to have any sort of strategy or any mulling over of rules. It just, the game just ends. And I love that. And, <laughs> yeah. And I that's a real that criticism thing. of the actual game. Oh yeah. Betrayal. I've heard iffy things. Baldur's Gate Betrayal is pretty fun though. Are those games? There's gotta be more games. They, right? they can be. Man, when, when can it be August 21st and I can play the Scythe expansion? Tell me about Charterstone. Oh, okay. Um, uh, should we talk about Legacy Games then go into Charterstone, or are we just talking about Charterstone? Uh, what, what is your opinion it's, it's, on no. what is your opinion on Legacy Games, actually? Honestly, I can take them or leave them. Uh, they're, they're a cool idea when you first play them. It's like, oh, I'm permanently changing the game. But one of the challenges of, of getting into a legacy game is the idea that you're, I have a, a very sort of dynamic gaming group where, yeah, you're right. you know, people don't show up all the time. Uh, I, I, you know, if I have an empty seat, I'll call somebody else up. They'll come over. And having legacy games kind of muddles that. Legacy games are great when Cream. you have a consistent player group where every every week the same people are going to show up and then that works out that's great otherwise they sit on your shelf until the right group of people show up and if there's a game that you've been dying to play or it's like oh, i really want to play this new game i got if you've got the legacy game and you have all the people present you got to play the legacy game or it feels like i don't know i have this weird relationship with legacy games specifically with gloomhaven where I want to play Gloomhaven, but I also want to play all my other games. So when do I play Gloomhaven? When is the right time to play Gloomhaven? Um, so maybe you you have different feelings about legacy games. I mean, I think, you know, there's some cool aspects of them, but I don't know. Um, I think that the, like, what you're saying is, uh, is obviously really fair. Um, it does bum me out that, like... Some of the legacy games aren't necessarily don't necessarily have to be played with the same group, but like they kind of they would suffer very hard from not doing that. So, for example, like, like 
Like, yeah, like, Gloomhaven... Gloomhaven isn't as bad, actually. I think that, like, compared to the other ones, they're not as bad. Um, Pandemic Legacy is very easy because you're basically upgrading the characters in Pandemic. And if you're playing with people, with the same group of people, like, you're upgrading the, the same people and playing the same people, and that's fine. But it's easy to have someone else jump in, and it's not that bad. So, like, Pandemic is not quite as rigid with that. Charterstone would be impossible because you're building up this... Uh, chart you're building up a an entire strategy over the course of games and the idea of someone like jumping in or having someone sit out around is like detrimental to the overall experience because they'll have to like have a hard they'll have a hard time keeping up um sure but but i mean i i see there is some allure to legacy games and i also think that charterstone could really bring someone into like the fold of board games. Cause you get into Charterstone and you know, there's gotta be some curiosity from people, right? Like there's excitement in opening up those boxes and just thinking like, Ooh, I want to play this board game because I want to see what's in the box. Or maybe that's just me. Cause I'm a crazy person who has to open boxes. I think that Charterstone is probably one of the best examples of like what the successes of legacy games are. Um, I, I think that there are two. In- the, the reason why I wanted to pose this whole legacy conversation was because of of this. And I feel like in a lot of board game podcasts and a lot of things I've read uh, that it's, it, it is like, would Charterstone be a good game without the legacy components? And and to answer that as no is like, would you want to play Charterstone if you weren't opening the boxes? And the answer no is like almost a stake in the heart. It's like, okay, so Charterstone isn't good enough on its own to stand without the whole like opening up boxes and getting new mechanics and putting stickers down and like all this stuff. Because I think one of the cooler things about Charterstone is knowing that there are certain mechanics that are going to be absent that you don't see. So when you're going through Charterstone, what you're actually seeing is you're seeing this unique situation where you've unlocked some things, but you haven't unlocked everything. So there's sort of like this emergent discoverable strategy. And that's the allure of Charterstone because when all of it's out, it's less interesting. When all of Charterstone is out on the table, it becomes solvable. Yeah, yeah, that's something like but I just don't think that's fair to say that that uh, a game can't but I said it, right? No, no, cuz no, cuz where, where where I draw a problem with is that is that like is the game not good enough to stand on its own without the legacy component? And I feel like for a lot of board gamers and like different podcasts of people I respect a lot uh, that they say like, uh, like that is a that is like I said, like a, a stake in the heart. That's that's it. Like the game isn't so good. So why not just play something that's better always without the legacy? And I fundamentally disagree with that. Um, why I like legacy games are for a couple different reasons. And I think Charterstone is a fantastic explanation of, of is a fantastic like breakdown of why legacy games are interesting. Number one, Charterstone starts out so unbelievably boringly simple that, that anyone can be 
present for that first game and start to understand mechanics. And it's fun because you get into the game right away without a lengthy rules explanation. If Charterstone were to have all the rules active basically at the same time and have this kind of like more balanced attempt at a constantly playable board game, then you would have lots to explain up in front. Like, what are these symbols mean? Um, how do these interact? Like, how do these different kind of mechanics, the kind of setup stuff of like, where you're going to put these certain things that I can't explain right now without ruining it. Um, and and all this kind of stuff where, where I feel like it is, it would require a, because there's a lot of board games I feel like that are very, very simple but require a lot of upfront explanation. And then once someone starts to see it in, in motion, they understand it. And I think the cool thing about Charterstone is that it basically makes it like takes a game that like has slight complexity, but makes it so simple in the beginning and then ramps up the difficulty and ramps up the rules and everything. Yeah. I, I love that. I, I love that. I, 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 maybe it is a side effect of the people that I'm playing it with. Like I'm playing it more with family and, uh, they're not necessarily like into games, so they're not like w- willing to sit down and hear a thirty-minute rules explanation of Gaia Project. But I, I love that Charterstone starts out as like it's it's the artwork is cute, it pulls you in, it is so simple, anyone can do it, doesn't require any any really any real serious explanation, just go. And then as you're playing the game, it starts to say like we just added a new rule, and then people can come to that rule understanding the context of the game then they get hit with the new rule and the new rule makes sense rather than just throwing a bunch of like rules all together and not understanding how those rules fit together i think it's really interesting like the way legacy games so you think the gaia project should be a legacy game got it yeah i don't know if you're making fun of me but actually yeah but what if but what if there were a legacy game that could that could jump people into understanding Gaia Project a little bit better, or or make Gaia Project a better legacy game? Because Gaia Project has the mechanics to work for it, and, and so does Terra Mystica. Maybe you start to terraform planets overall, and every time you're breaking out the board game, it's like, hey, last game I lost, but I spent a lot of time terraforming this one planet, so that next next round I'd be able to access it quicker and stuff like that. I mean. There, there. I know that there's issues. There's, a, there's a lot of things that I, I don't want to gloss over the issues that people complain about. Uh, I, I remember, um, uh, so very wrong about games. Talked about how like Charterstone is a euro, but it can give you advantages. And in, 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 in euros where they're tightly based on like the amount of resources that you have, uh, it can make it so that there's like a win condition that you basically just start out with. But there's Charterstone. I feel like. It's almost dumb to say that for Charterstone because Charterstone actually kind of punishes punishes you a little bit more for winning than it does losing. Losing actually gets you kind of better benefits going into future games than winning does. But how do you feel about the legacy genre overall? I absolutely love it. How do you um, feel about owning a bunch of these? Do you feel like... I, I mean, I guess we have totally different opinions because... Is your group more static? I mean, I have like, you know, like my, I'm in August in Pandemic Legacy Season 1. And that's with my LTCP and my mom. And then in uh, Charterstone, I have my sister, my LTCP, and my mom. And that's harder to get together, but we're on game nine. So we're we're getting there. Um, I have an unopened Risk Legacy. And 
and who's get, who's in on that? Are you saving that? Th- I'm saving that to like when a group finishes, kind of like like whether or not I want to, you know, have my my sister and the the Charterstone group uh, do that, or wh- whether or not I want to just do a smaller version of that. I feel like it would be better suited for the four player Charterstone group. Because uh, I'd play Risk Legacy, but that's I, hard. That, that was another thing that I, I kind of wanted to have Risk Legacy as an LTCP and Mason game. Um, but, okay, so, like, yeah, uh, there, there's, issue with, there's issues with these games, but I think one thing that I actually really appreciate is that uh, you getting getting your money's worth is kind of hard out of, out of board games sometimes. And there's some games I feel like you get your money's worth a million times over, and there's some that you kind of don't. And they sit there a little bit, and they're a shame, and it's hard just to get those out. And I feel like one of the cool things that I've had, I've experienced so far with Legacy is that like, if I finish that Charterstone uh, game, if I finish the Charterstone like Legacy campaign, how, what is the dollar ratio to have four people sit around and have fun for like an hour plus that we're experiencing on average? per these course of like what 12 or 13 games or whatever it is like yeah well, that, you know that it turns into a board game afterwards right that's true but i don't think i would ever want to play it but that, it wouldn't be important that i did because i would have had like i would have have so completely isn't 12 plays of a game enough that, that's what i'm saying is like it's like there's plenty of great games that i haven't played 12 times like I love Scythe so much, and I spent a, I spent like quadruple the amount. I bought Scythe and the expansions and the promos and the upgrades and stuff like that, and I love it. I love the overall like Scythe to me is probably um, the most like collector's edition that I have any board game. Of, like it is sexy. I have got the best components. I have got all the promos. I have got everything, and it's all like well organized and nice and i actually just got the scythe a legendary box that fits every scythe uh expansion and all scythe components including the upcoming expansion in one single box but um like i if i'm i feel like the way that i value board games is that i cut them i cut the cost between the amount of times i played and the amount of players i played it with so i'm almost like thinking about it in terms of like buying friends or my LTCP or something, a, uh, like a, a movie yeah. ticket. Okay. Well now think about Keyforge, where if you wanted to go to someone and bring them Keyforge and say, Hey, check this out. What you actually do is you just buy two packs, right? You spend 20 bucks. You both get a fresh pack. You open it up and you play the game. Is that good value? When when Char- Charterstone was cheap as hell, dude. I, I I am I am often saying the praise of Charterstone, and I feel yeah, like Char- Charterstone is why I just ex- I've I've been explaining. It's We're, so so. Can, but we didn't even get into it. Okay, so did then you, get into it. Yeah. All go right. Ahead. So tell me about did you which game of Charterstone did you play? Okay. Which scenario? Okay. Didn't are we are we? I, I wanted to get into Legacy first and then get into this charterstone stuff as late into the podcast as possible so that we would okay. have spoilers and that we could i mean just... I, I sort of i've said my piece i don't know what else there is to say because i'm not as i don't i'm not as endeared to it as you are yeah i just i like them i like the slow explanation of rules i like to open things and then i also do, i i actually like to ruin the components over the course to play rather than be so frustrated if anyone is eating cheese doodles or some shit 
uh, and you know, touching. to be fair though, uh, Gloomhaven, all the rules are up front. So it's not like a legacy thing to show you stuff over time. Yeah, it's cool because it's it's when kind of a completely different game. It's a completely different version of legacy where the rules are up front, but the methods of play are not, I guess. Um uh yeah, I I like all that stuff and I also appreciate that if you're going to play a game 12 times and you paid 40 bucks for it, then you goddamn got your money out of it and that anyone can see that like you 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 paid a fantastic price for that amount of fun for that group of people for that many hours um so are we done with the podcast and we can talk about yeah sure uh wtg podcast wtg podcast.com at twitter at wtg podcast itunes what's the deal with games where you rate comment and subscribe to the show thank you i'm coming something something smash bros okay okay uh, so spoilers um one, two, and listen, Charterstone is a very good game. So if you haven't been, so if you haven't played it, I really recommend it. And there's three. Uh, I got up to the, I think it's the ninth game where we opened up a candle. Yes, the candle game. Okay, so the rules, and I know the kind of designer that Jamie Stegmeier is. Uh, the rules sound like it says that. The you light a candle before the game starts, and then if the candle is blown out, and the wording is for whatever reason, you record the player whose turn it was, and then you keep playing. Um, so that's ominous. And the interesting thing is that the words for whatever reason seem to imply that you can have bad faith, that like the players themselves can blow out the candle because it's, it's a little tea light candle right like like are you supposed to just play and then by random luck it's someone who's taking a long time in their turn and the candle goes out yes yeah, yeah that's how yeah. i read it yeah but it says for whatever reason that's the that's the wording on it can't you blow the candle out i don't know i didn't so i don't know i mean the way that we played it is we just played it like we were under the gun we actually completed the game without the candle turning out on anybody's turn. Was there, without spoilers, a... Um, did the game recognize that? I think there's a rule for it. Yeah, so there's a rule for if the, can- if the candle didn't blow out. Because there's... You, you you do one of the scratch-offs, and it's it, it said um, just record who it blew out on. So, I don't know. I wonder if there was one for the candle never blowing out. There's no way that'll happen in my group. I wonder if the... Uh, I kind of almost am like... I don't want to hear it, but I, I'm... I, wait, I, so wait. Did you play... You played this We didn't play the game. The, you play it. We didn't play it yet. We you just... Un, we unlocked the candle. Wait, you, that's what you do? Oh, man, I don't do that. I like to... I open it up. I, I didn't play the way you played it, where I opened up beforehand. I think we spoke about this already, but... Essentially, we got to the table, and then we figured out what the game scenario was going to be. Oh yeah, I mean, it, it the the uh, scenario says open up that box uh, before the game starts, so I just did it. But uh, that would have been crazy. So to you just haven't even played it yet. I have so not played I don't, it. Yet. So, see, I was looking to have this discussion after you've played it. For like how I I just think I think it's gonna be a mess in my group because we take a long time. Oh yeah, well so you like can't. we're gonna it's gonna go this out. This is gonna light a fire for people. You think so? 
that's an that's yeah, so I, that's so interesting I, as a concept because like I, I wonder if that will affect the psychology of the group because I have people who really mull over turns and I wonder if they're just gonna be like uh you you know what you know what this this this, this I just gotta go with this just just get off you know, my turn in that in that version of the game I scored I think about ninety to a hundred points that's absurd. Yeah, no, this is what took me over. Like, I scored an insane amount of points because nobody noticed what I was doing. And I built this really insane engine where, and I don't know what you've unlocked, so I can't really talk too much about it. But essentially, I had this strategy that could easily be blocked by other players, could easily be blocked. But nobody was paying attention because everybody was too scared of the candle. That is so, they were so all just cool as a game mechanic. On their own turn. So I just made this engine and just turned out tons of points. And it was that game alone that won me the entire uh, game of Charterstone, that won me the campaign of Charterstone. That's fascinating. Which I won by one point. Yeah. That is insane. So maybe y'all get something like that, or maybe. How many games did you have under your belt for? How many wins did you have? Because my LTCP is like way ahead of us right now. I think four. I think it was literally four, four, four in our group. Oh, that's not. But I could be mistaken. I think I have two. um, Two people have one, and my LTCP has like five. How is she a Gaia project? Have not played it with her. She won the first game of Machikoro, uh, Sean. I explained it. And he didn't take well to it, and it crashed and burned. All right, I hear you. Okay, cool. Yeah, so interested to see uh, what story... Uh, She would be be so fun, though. Like, when I bring uh, Gaia Project and we do Terra Mystica Gaia Project, I do want her to be there for that, because I feel like she likes those kinds of games. She loved... She fell in love with Machikoro. Actually. I feel like I'm going to end up just liking Gaia Project more and then regretting Terra Mystica, but we'll see. Yeah, we'll see. I don't think it's a bad game by any stretch, but I hear that a lot Terra of Terra Mystica is very that, hallowed, though, so, like, the name Gaia, alone. Yeah, but people say the Gaia Project fixed a lot of uh, Terra Mystica's problems. Uh, the one thing... I've heard there's a bit of a unbalance in Terra Mystica. The thing I heard, the mo- I've heard the worst things about Gaia Project's... Because Guy Project has thousands of games under people's belt to the point where there is really poor balance. And I've heard the other thing around that, like, Terra Mystica is more imbalanced and Gaia Project is more balanced um, just because there's been less time to, like, aggressively break it down. Um, The one thing I hear consistently that I could imagine being an actually big thing about that game that I would like a lot more is that uh, uh, Terra Mystica has this cult track thing where you're going up these cult tracks and uh there's not rewards for everything whereas guy project has these uh tracks that determine your ability to do things so there one is like your ability to terraform overall it makes terraforming easier one is like your intelligence as a race one is like your speed your ability to like uh, um you know travel further uh, so that you could, instead of terraforming planets only one space away, you could terraform planets two spaces away, and stuff like that. So, But every single time you move up the track, you get like an almost immediate reward or an income uh, for next round uh, for forever. So like, it's kind of more exciting because I feel like Gaia Project is giving you more like 
throughout this game you will have you'll either get something right away or you're going to get like continued upkeep of something and that, that that's one thing that i've heard uh very good things about other than that the races are very different they're so aggressively different to the point where like i would want to play gaia project a lot of times to understand what races are actually effective to do what i would i would almost like handpick the races the first time just to be like here just play a race that uh makes sense and doesn't require any explain explanation so that you can just play In terra mystica they tell you which races to play for your starting game i don't know if guy project does that but there's some very simple races and there's some very very complex races that you have to really understand the core mechanics of the game to be able to abuse all right so is that so, the real deal? Yeah, that could be the real deal um i mean we're excited this week for gen con and i assume you're excited for evo so we'll be back with a bigger batter cast next week Alrighty, and uh finally did you see there is more clank oh yeah there's a new expansion oh and there's an expansion to a uh, bargain quest so the expansion to clank is actually like sort of a unique weird thing i don't know if you uh saw too much about it but essentially it's like they're just going to be selling more boards so they're just going to sell boards okay which is kind of cool that's really cool actually that that was actually kind of one of my weird because because the board determines the overall game flow of clank yeah and i will say that the mummy's curse board is way better very good okay all right good game bye that's a real deal bye